Hi, I'm Pinky. And I'm Lucy. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. Here we are again. We had such a great month last month talking about uh, uh, queer issues. And we had such an amazing reaction over on social media to uh, our interviews with Grace at Petrie, Jess Morgan and Rory Skyser. So we wanted to start off by just thanking you for being so open to these conversations and to these honest accounts that these fabulous artists are giving us um but yeah here we are the world feels I don't know I want to say precarious again obviously we're all watching what happens with the Indian variant with uh, a mixture of trepidation and interest I guess to just see what will happen next and what we should do how are you keeping pinky um yeah pretty good it feels like that strange midway point right of really Mm. wanting to go out and enjoy the world um I'm off on holiday in a little while with a group of friends you know which feels just so exciting to be able to do that after such a long period of time but as you say you know precarious and we've all you know done lateral flow tests before we're going and it just feels like a different way to be preparing to go on holiday and living life I guess doesn't it Certainly, certainly. And I think, you know, from the perspective of the the music that we're all desperate to get back to, I feel like in some ways it's cast a bit of question over what happens next. And, you know, rightly so, people's safety is, of course, always paramount to, to that. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess um, I guess I bring it up just to say to people that we're maybe feeling feeling those vibes too of, you know, please, please let it be okay because we want people to be okay and we want music again we want music again I actually have a gig like next week so that's exciting down at the the haven't no down at the spring in haven't on the south coast on the 12th of June so that's going to be crazy playing to actual people in a room what oh that sounds so exciting I'm slightly envious that I'm not going to be able to make it but have an absolutely brilliant (laughs) night I'll let you off this time it'd be interesting actually because I've got a big baby bump to navigate which I didn't have the last time I played in front of an audience so um but that's all good just have to work out how to reposition any guitars right that's it that's it but you know uh, I'm sure many people could em- empathize with you Lucy Um, But anyway, onwards with the show. Um, So today we have a bit of a departure from our usual themed month of conversation. And we are bringing you a very special festival episode, recognising, I think, as many people are, that we are missing some of the festivals this summer. Um, And it's also super important to us that this podcast really amplifies the voices, not just of artists, but also those working behind the scenes, those running events and festivals, setting the backdrop for world artists' work within a way that us listeners get to experience live music. And we are just over the moon to be presenting this conversation today between two powerhouse women from two of the biggest folk festivals in the UK. It's so exciting. Fluff and Amy take us on a laughter-filled, passionate and enlightening tour de force of a conversation, addressing everything from gender balanced lineups, gender neutral toilets, inclusivity, keeping audiences happy and building back better post-COVID. 
Now, just before we jump into this episode, we must apologise. Some of the sound quality isn't quite up to the standard that we've been trying to achieve since we started Thank Vote for Feminism, tech gremlins and all that. But uh, having edited it down, we don't think that it will impede you enjoying this really, really awesome conversation. We really hope that you enjoy Cambridge and Shrewsbury Folk Festivals in conversation. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to start by taking a minute to introduce yourselves? Yeah, um, I'm Amy Berto. I work for Shrewsbury Folk Festival. Um, I have been for the past seven years. Um, I started off as the director of the children's part of the festival, which we call Pandemonium. And then over the years, my role has grown. Um, and this year, I'm also taking on our COVID safety protocol thing, which is which is lots of fun. Lots of risk <laughs> assessments. Yeah. Everybody, I'm sure, can hear the irony in that final statement. I hope so. <laughs> The, the 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 fun went up beautifully at the yeah the fun oh. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah hello uh, my official name that my parents gave me is Rebecca Stewart but everybody calls me Fluff and I am the festival manager for Cambridge Folk Festival um, I've been with the festival since um, 2015 now um, and have been in my current position um, for the last four years. Um, we've obviously all had a bit of a, an interesting time of it recently and it's yeah it feels very it feels really nice to be talking about talking about our festivals in in you know in such a in such a good way at the moment because we've not really done them for a while so I'm, I'm really looking forward to today for sure. Um, thank you so much for um, joining us I hope today it's going to be a really rich, really interesting conversation, right, about women's roles across the festival industry and scene in a variety of guises and formats. And I guess thinking about that, first thing we really wanted to touch on, uh, Fluff, was thinking about Cambridge Women's Day in particular and the decision to do that and the reaction to that. Talk us through what that was like for you. Yeah, so it's a bit of a long-winded story, so, you know, feel free to or chip in whenever you need to. Um, but the, I think the first thing to start with is that we've had a really good history with gender um, uh, balance on the lineup for, like, for a number of years, and um, that was started kind of, I think, about 10 years ago when we, like, it was a conscious decision to start doing it, and that is reflected on all that you know you can see it on the lineups and we 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 do it purposefully to check um and in 2017 as we were kind of pulling the lineup together we started to realize that we've got a really strong lot of women who we were uh, who we were approaching who were available and it was turning out that the day that most of them could do with a friday me and both kind of looked at each other and were like this is is this a thing are we are we we might be able to do this and Bev was just over the moon because it's been something that she'd wanted to try for ages and just by the you know things aligning it looked like we were going to be able to do it so we were like right let's let's make this a conscious thing now we think we can get at least our main stage we'll aim for our second stage as 
fully female as well and we'll see what happens um now at the time that we were having that conversation a decision was also taken to release uh what you would call the headline names for the festival which were at that time all male and we got a bit of ribbing for that because the only names we'd released were men and at the time there was a conversation happening in Glasgow about uh, gender uh, balance on festivals and we were picked up as being a negative point in that and I I was a bit like but you you know we don't do that like yes we we we've announced those names and I maybe we shouldn't have done it in the way that we did but also they were really good names so we wanted to get them out there um so we you know it, it ended up being a bit of a thing where it was like oh you know it's a reaction to being called out and um that that was kind of a bit yeah that was a bit of a a story that started going around and we were like well it, it was, we'd already, we already thought we were going to be able to do it, but now that that's happened, now we're, now we are able to do it and you've kind of flagged that, like flagged that thing, we really want to focus on this being a really positive thing now. So we also said to the, um, it was Rachel Newton who had originally pulled the panel together in, um, in Glasgow and we were like, would you come and fit, like have the conversation again at Cambridge? It'd be great to kind of like, you know, as part of it to carry it on and carry on that conversation, you know, tell us who you want, who you'd like to, to, to have that conversation with. Um, so we had a, um, a women's panel and stuff and we, but, you know, for the women taking part in it, it was a really positive thing and for the most part we had like really good positive response from the people involved in it in terms of artists the audience not so much uh we did get some pushback from the audience and i'm going to be like horrendously stereotypical about a about our audience in that they are of a certain age and a certain attitude that seems to come with that which is uh which was of you know why why do you have to have all these women we don't need any more women you know what you know you're you're actually making it worse by not having a balanced lineup by not having men and stuff and it, it like those comments were like yeah that's exactly the reason we've done it because you should you shouldn't have picked up on it it should just have been a day of music of which you would choose to either enjoy it all or you know like you would normally you go and watch a day of a festival and you go well those would stand out for me not as keen on those but that's fine but then picking up the fact that they were female because of that then I'm like right now you now now there's an issue there and that's why we need to we need to do that and I'm going to tell you now you you've chosen to email me I'm going to tell you that that is that's the problem uh, which I did didn't get any responses to those emails funnily enough um, and then the, the, there was some other kind of like interesting things that kind of came out of it as well which was that um, it was it wasn't universally loved by everybody involved in it when is everything ever going to be such um, and one artist particularly who was on the bill you know said a similar thing you know it was a great thing to do but they would much rather be part of a lineup that was you know balanced and they didn't really want it pointed out that it was you know and I was like yeah totally get it and it's not something that we would do you know we're not going to keep doing it forever we wanted to see a whether we could we could because 
but just you know female people be in the music industry I don't know why this is a confusing thing for people but also that you know it 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 just was a thing that we could do at that time and so now we've proven that we can do it and we're moving on from it you know that was that was the thing but then that comment then got picked up by somebody who was like well you know the artists didn't even enjoy it and it's like no 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 what one one artist said in an interview that they happened to do that they maybe thought that it was it was a bit overkill or whatever you know however they put it um Whereas another artist who has recently said, you know, cited Cambridge as being like so such a positive thing in that respect, because it was the year that they were the, um, uh, it was the Rhiannon Giddens year, I think. And it was just, she loved it. And she thought it was, you know, she was super positive about it and has cited us again recently as being like, a, it was an amazing thing to be part of which is amazing so it's it you know there's there's always you're never going to please everybody but I just think the reaction particularly from the audience was just something that I I just wasn't expecting and wasn't expecting it to be you know and it, you see it feels a little bit now that it's been like pushed into a corner and like well we don't really want to talk about it because there was a little bit, people were a little bit uncomfortable about it and a little bit unsure as to how to talk about it. And I've always wanted to get on my little mini soapbox and just be like, but we did this thing. We just, we did the thing and it was all right. And you know, it doesn't matter that not everybody didn't enjoy it, but we did it and it worked and it, it's something you can do. And you know, and it was just like, so thanks for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> but I think, right. You wouldn't have got the same reaction if it had been all men. Nobody would have just been accepted. You wouldn't have got the emails. You wouldn't have got the comments. You wouldn't have had the male artist saying, I'm uncomfortable with this. Everybody would have just cracked on and gone, yeah, great. That was a good day. That was day one of Cambridge done. Great. Like, you know, so I kind of feel like the fact that it did create conversation and actually push some buttons... I'd love Cambridge to do it again, personally. I don't think it should be a one-off thing, like because <laughs> I think the gender balance is so screwed at so many festivals. There's space for some of the bigger ones to stick their head above the parapet and say, you know what, we're doing things differently. But that's me because I like to rock the boat frequently. We say there that nobody would notice if it was all men, but we must cite, as Fluff said, just announcing three male headliners. You did have audience members that were woke to the cause. So we mustn't, you know, paint everybody with the same brush there. But I just want to say it's very hard, isn't it? Because ultimately your festivals are are a service I don't know if you describe them as that but they're an offering they're an offering maybe that's a better phrase and to do something you know is controversial is really really difficult and to do it again perhaps even harder so I think massive power to your elbow for yourself and you mentioned Bev who's the artistic director of uh, Cambridge um, massive power to your elbow for 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 taking that chance and allowing um the industry and the audience to um see their internalized misogynist views right <laughs> it wasn't comfortable for a lot of people but did it start a conversation yes was it an important thing to do to show you can program a whole day at a major festival 
with just female artists yeah so I mean it, it was a powerful thing it's a shame that um that you feel that it's been now kind of squashed into the corner and people don't want to discuss it yeah and that that kind of that uncomfortableness is something that I think it's really it needs to be like we need to make it really clear that we feel that as well like I feel it I feel it about things that I do that I say you know you know it's not I'm not it's not just male issue and a female issue you know being uncomfortable about that like a situation that's different is something that happens to everybody but you have to know how to handle that uncomfortableness and move on from it and that you know acknowledge it know, know that it's not pleasant but then you have to question why you're feeling uncomfortable and I think that like that's that for me is something that I'm going to have to work on for the rest of my life but it is it's a conscious thing that you do, isn't it? But just like banging out an email because there were too many women on the lineup and it's like, really, is it? Is that what the problem is? Like, please, please just take a minute before you do that because actually it's it's bigger than that, isn't it? You know. But that kind of harks back to a conversation Lucy and I had last night actually about the discomfort in stepping outside the norm right we live in a patriarchal world we live in a world that's set up in a certain way and we are programmed as um women or marginalized um genders to put up shut up get on with it which is i guess why i made that comment about if it was all men not many people would comment and i think lucy's right like there are some people that would spot it but most people would just accept it as the status quo and that discomfort comes from being the people that are doing something different raising your head up you know what you've done is basically taken away the possibility for any festival ever to say a gender balance lineup is impossible because you've done it you've done more than that you've done an entire day of it you know with high profile prominent artists you know it's not like you were you know having to bring lots of new voices in to do that they were really high profile you know brilliant women in music so you've taken an opportunity from every other festival to hide now and that's also uncomfortable right i was going to say about the key change thing just so just like the the rules for being a key change festival and having a, a balanced lineup is that only it counts towards your your gender lineup, uh, your gender balance, if you've just got a band with one female member in it, and it doesn't have to be female fronted. And I think that's just just to point out about the um, the day that we did was that it was female fronted acts, and where possible, it was fully female bands. And that as well is something that is is a real, you know, so many bands that are all female or have like predominantly female, but, you know, one person at the back on the keyboards, then you get to count that on your, you know, on your on your balance. And I just think that's great because that is still a woman on the stage performing. That's an, I'm not saying that that, you know, it shouldn't be counted, but also it's a bit of an excuse to be able to do it and you know and it's like actually there are so many amazing female fronted bands and um, you know solo performers and whatever and having those predominantly at the front as they are should be the aim and it's you know getting women who are confident in doing that and being at the front 
to be at the front and I think that you know that that's just a yeah that's just something to be aware of as well I wonder if that comes later though right like step one is like <laughs> baby steps maybe like not not Let's saying it's right or wrong but you know going from a world where historically there have been so few women you know and you look at you know non-folk industry lineups in particular and they're absolutely awful mm. I'm kind of willing to accept that as a step on the way to making it better longer term but that can't be the point at which you rest right you can't say mm. well, we've done that now so that's enough you say mm. okay we've done that now so the next step is fully you know it has to be all women to count as part of your gender balance Mm. I think that's so interesting as well because I didn't realize that about the key change thing so I've been doing the stats for for Shrewsbury Folk Festival about our gender balance so based on that we are balanced for this year which I didn't realize hooray for us and it means we would have been balanced we were balanced in 2019 as well and 2018 and I haven't finished 2017 yet. That's what I was doing this morning. Um, but looking at that, I sort of, I, and I had a conversation with Sandra, who's our festival director yesterday. And I said, you know, it's really not good enough. We've got to do better. And, you know, we can, having these bands where there's just one woman in it, when there's, you know, seven or eight blokes, just isn't good enough but so I find it quite interesting that the key change rules count that that one woman in that band as counting towards your gender balance so yeah I didn't know that well without revealing your stats unless you want to Amy but when we discussed it actually if you weren't using those key change rules this year it's very male heavy isn't it but it's it is, you yeah. can only know these things by looking at the stats and improving them so I wondered if you could reflect on Shrewsbury's journey to um, representing women on your lineups. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we're in the process of doing. We're definitely not there yet and we wouldn't claim to be. Um, I think one of the things that we that we have done that's really positive is when we commission new work. So we get a lot of um, project funding through the Arts Council to do these brilliant projects. So in 2017, we had the Passerine, which was all about um, sort of travel and kind of what it means to be British and what it means to have um, different people coming from different places. And that was wonderful. And that was predominantly women. And that was headed up by Ohuli and Tido, who I absolutely love. Big shout out to them if they're listening. I love them. They're my favourites. And, um, and then we also had All Together Now, which was funded by Hannah James. And a lot of that was predominantly female. So I think when we're when we go out of our way to commission new work, we're making sure that it's fronted by women, but that doesn't change the fact that our overall lineup is more skewed towards men. And I think the biggest problem that we have is that the Shrewsbury audience love a dance and they love, especially for headliners, they want someone they can dance to. And a lot of these bigger bands are either predominantly male or all male. And we wouldn't want to not have them because they're so important to our audience. So, you know, bands like Skippinish and Scarivore and Bellowhead, they sometimes have a few women. And of course they've sort of 
stopped going now kind of thing but they tend to be more men and I think one of the things that we can do as an industry is actually tell promoters and tell artists what we want and say you know what ladies we want a big lady band <laughs> that do dancing things and that people can play along that can dance and sing along to we want headliner female bands you know soloists are fine and you know we love people like you lucy and and you know grace petrie and and those sort of people we love them but we really want some big headliner female bands please if you can sort that out I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I'm going to um, pitch it over to something I heard Iona Five saying just last night in an interview about. So uh, the bands that you mentioned, you know, they're bands, uh, the, dan the dance bands that we're talking about generally, it's not all new material, you know, the very trad focused, traditional mm -hmm. uh, influence bands, right? And she was talking about how uh, education in traditional music is so gendered so mm. women are steered towards the fiddle and the harp and men are steered towards guitar and baran and rhythm instruments mm. and of course if we're starting there it's no wonder we get to the top and you're saying we can't program a balance of dance ba gender balanced dance band headliner whatever because they aren't there and um and you know so and what i'm loving about the way Thank Folk for Feminism is evolving is that all of these questions, all of these conversations don't and cannot exist on their own. They feed into other things about how we, um, how our whole system within, uh, well, you know, the whole world, but our whole system within the folk <laughs> industry is, is gender uh, imbalanced to the point where you know it makes it very difficult for people like yourselves attempting to rectify the issues and we have to start at the bottom don't we so yeah there you go you've put out the call any women out there who are making that kind of music drop amy and fluff an email they're ready to book you <laughs> yeah just just on that as well like that that's something that i've been speaking with a couple of people about over the last couple of years as well and it kind it came from that you know, the, when when Bellowhead stopped being Bellowhead, and we we all went, well, now like who's going to fill that gap? Who's who's coming in to fill that gap in the market? And you know, we had we we've had a few little tentative steps towards it, but n there's still there's still a gap that needs filling, particularly from an English point of view. I mean, you know, the Scots trad bands with like the big noises and stuff are are still there and still going. But as Amy says, they're all predominantly men and it is it is that thing about you know as a as a young girl when you're like you know all of that genderedness about how you want to behave what you want to wear what you want to look like is fed you know feeds into them what you're expected to take up what instruments you're supposed to do like what you know how you're supposed to sing how you you know and you know so the so the the women out there who are in uh the, the punk bands and the you know the DJs and stuff like that you you know there's some amazing like there's uh, a drum and bass DJ app that I've started following recently she's phenomenal um one of my you know dream nails who are a punk band who are you know four young women uh who like I just love what they're you know what they're saying and you know and all that kind of stuff but 
they they're fighting they've been fighting for years and years and years you know to be because they're playing loud music and they're playing music that's not associated with you know being a woman or being feminine or whatever and it's like we can be loud and take up space and come you know so come and take up space please I would love it oh you know I would, I would you know let's find the money I'll back it <laughs> I have actually I've said exactly that to um, Joy who does our all our fabulous arts council applications and she's got it down to it and she's she, honestly she's like a magician she's so good at it but I've said that to Joy I said we need some money to you know make the Spice Girls of folk music <laughs> you know we need to I want I want a a headline act because we had a, a great band a couple of years ago called Jiggy who are Irish so they've got a, a a female front lady and she sings and plays the fiddle and a female drummer and I I saw them at WOMAD and I said to Sandra we have to book them and she booked them which was which was wonderful um I said but we need we need Jiggy but with like three or four more women in it please because they're quite a big band you know and it's like bands like um, Shugal Nifty, who I love, they've got, I think they've got two or maybe three women in their regular lineup. Just chuck another couple of women in, you know, and that we know that the the players are out there. We know that the music, the musicians are there. So I don't know whether there's a kind of some sort of barrier that's stopping women being in bands. I don't know. And I wonder if there's also a a first step to that right or a pre-step to that given what's been talked about about how young women and young men are shepherded towards different instruments and shepherded towards different directions in the scene that actually you know a lot of the festivals run like youth workshops as part of the festivals you know also commission the you know come and have a go at guitar specifically aimed at young women and just pick it up and play and see how it feels right like we might be 20 years off that big female fronted dance bands but that's all right let's start having these conversations with young people now about what are the messages the world sends us you know, what's it like, you know, find some of those female fronted bands, even if they're not the dance bands for young women to come and talk to and aspire to be like we learn from the people that we look up to. Right. Which is why the balanced lineup becomes really important, because if young people don't see themselves on stage, they won't aspire to be there. But also what's the yeah, for me, there's an education and a step before that. Right. So if you're looking for an application, that's where I'd stick it for now. The Spice Girls will of the folk world who may have to be called something slightly different for trademark reasons. <laughs> um, you know, they'll come. They'll come in time, you know, but there's there's a step first, maybe. Yeah, really good point. We've just both written that down as well. You're both going to do it, aren't you, on the same day at the same time, same application, head to head. Um, but I guess the other thing, like kind of 
moving on from that a little bit but also part of it is i think it's probably also fair to say that things are particularly balanced behind the scenes right and it doesn't it's not just the performers that make a folk festival it's women like you and the techs and the bookers and the management and the event logistics and i have no idea like the portaloo hiring person whoever that is like <laughs> What, what do you need to be doing to an official job title now, I think, if you don't have one? Um, what can you be doing, I guess, to address that as well? Because that's the other gap. Yeah, I mean, at Shrewsbury, we're a predominantly female committee. Um, we're a purely female management team. Um, our director is a woman. Um, shout out to Sandra, if you listen, Sandra. Yeah. Um, and but I think that has happened quite naturally and organically. That wasn't kind of done on purpose. Um, I think for women going into the industry, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there's not one kind of obvious route to, you know, going into the, into it. Um, and I think being, being as accessible as you can. Things like Zoom, as we have discovered, um, are brilliant because you can have all your committee meetings online now. I mean, we could have done it before, we just didn't realize. Um, but that makes it more accessible for women. It makes it safer because you're not having committee meetings in the evening where you might be having to walk or go on the train or, I mean, even driving isn't necessarily safe for women, but, um, it just makes that that bit more accessible. If you've got young children, you don't need to worry about childcare. I mean, the number of times that I took Ginny, who's my youngest, I took her to committee meetings because she was a breastfed baby. But because we're a predominantly female committee, no one batted an eyelid, it was perfectly fine. But I think if, if I was a young woman now starting in the industry, I would want to know that those committees are open to me taking my young child if I needed to. I would want to know that they were open to me working flexibly and working from home and, and know that I would have that support. As it is, I've had amazing support and that the team is wonderful um, and I couldn't, couldn't wish for anything better really, but I know that that's not the norm across the industry. Yeah, I think I think we're quite similar in that um, predominantly we're we're female led. Um, so myself and my um, right hand woman Hazel, uh, who is you know there's, there's the two of us. I have a male production manager, and then there is the booker. So we're a small we're a small team, and at the moment um, it's Eddie Barkan who is. You know our, our guest um, artistic director at the moment, um, but and the the I'm only the third person ever to manage the festival as well, and it was so it was started by a man. Eddie then took it over, and I'm then the third person who's who's ever been in that in that position with it. Um, and with with all the the kind of with the way it works for us in terms of the the wider group. Um, we have section heads who then come on board uh, to manage the staffing teams and then um, so they're kind of like their de department managers um, 
we have a lot of women in those roles. Um, we have a lot of female, um, you know, kind of members of staff who are in, um, in managerial positions, but they are doing roles that you would expect a woman to do. They are not doing roles that you would, that, you know, it's not, so the, the, the men do the stage, the women do the backstage. You know, we, we've got, um, you know, predominantly all male teams that come in and do the power and the lighting and, the, you know, and, that, and that's, that's because the contractors that we use, um, we do have um, uh, one of the best monitor engineers uh, going. She's amazing. Shana, she is amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. She is, she is like stunningly good at what she does. Um, but she is, you know, one of a few women within that team. And, you know, it, it's all, it always seems to be that it's, you know, women doing, women doing the support roles and the, you know, the hospitality roles and the, the roles that are, essentially they do manage everything because they, they, they do all the bits that mean that everybody else can do their jobs without really having to worry about it. And I think that's really reflective of life, isn't it? In that, you know, we spend all our time making sure that everything's okay so that it just seamlessly everything else happens and I think it's a really like when I've looked like really delved down into it I'm like oh that's essentially what the festival is like that's that's how it works because the women are in the roles that just grease everything else to make everything else run really smoothly not that that's a bad thing I mean you know we've I've got some exceptional staff across the board all like a lot of whom have a lot more experience than the people who are managing them at the moment you know th there's there's people who've been working in Cambridge for 35 plus years and and their understanding and knowledge of it is great and it's invaluable but at the same time it it they you know it's got to change and it's got to keep moving and it is such a beast of a thing in terms of its history and and all of that I want to see us be able to elevate those women up as well. Like I want, I want there to be a point where we're not putting women in certain roles because, you know, just, and I, you do it so, like without thinking about it. Oh, I've got a space here. I know the person I've got a woman that can do that because I know that that will make that bit easier, but yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I don't think there's an easy answer to any of these things. I mean, one thing we did is we've made all our MCs gender balanced. So we have 50% female MCs. And that is that was really hard because it meant, you know, predominantly white middle-aged men who've done the job for 15 years essentially had to be not sacked. I wouldn't put it like that, but replaced with a woman. And I think that was really difficult and uncomfortable and whatever but we knew we had to do it and of course it's like you know you do get those men who say quite sort of stereotypical borderline misogynistic things like oh here come a lovely beautiful group of ladies and you think no it's not we don't need to say that anymore it's you know it's not okay but, um, I'm sorry, but the voice you used then was just so great. Just thank you for gifting us all of that. Amazing. You're very welcome. <laughs> but if you have female MCs, you don't get that happening. And it's just because women don't introduce other women like that. So that I feel like that has helped. 
having some some women MC. And of course, it, it's then, you know, if you're in the audience, you think, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could stand up and introduce everybody. I know everybody. I'm a big folk fan or whatever. Not a job in a few years time, Luce. There you go. Well, you've told the two biggest folk festivals in the country you want it to be your job. Let's just see what happens. Thank folk feminism takeover. <laughs> that folk feminism takeover sounds brilliant. But on, and on what you were saying, Amy, I think, you know, what we're kind of talking about here is, is a culture shift, right? If more women are involved, what happens out front is more reflective of uh, you know gender balance input right and just thinking about those um you know those misogynistic mcs that ev every female artist has encountered in their time like would you guys ever consider as event uh, organizers like having a a guide for your mcs a policy do you do that is that a thing yeah so we do we ha we have a a a, a a sheet a couple of sheets that go out to the MCs with you know information about who the sponsors are who they need to, you know who they need to thank like all those kinds of things um and in it it says uh, do not use gendered language when speaking you know when introducing um you know artists uh, you need to you know unless you're going to introduce everybody by what they're wearing don't do it to you know um to female um, musicians um, a lot of whom have, you know, academic backgrounds. So, you know, make sure that you're kind of highlighting those things. Um, and I've also asked them to stop saying ladies and gentlemen. So we, we tr we're, I'm trying to wean them onto, um, you know, really kind of, you know, everyone, folks, you know, kind of really like getting rid of that. Um, I've asked if we can have gender neutral toilets and my production manager nearly fell off his chair uh, and uh, like the reaction was incredible well it's not just me the audience won't like it I was like I don't care if the audience don't like it it's just like you know oh that's a, just really quickly on toilets just really quickly on toilets before we do the thing um no we want no I'm pointing because I know Pinky will want to talk about the toilets <laughs> um, okay Okay, so in 2019, we, I can't even remember what we had on, but it was, re, it was busy and I'd got, I'd had to shut one set of toilets down to try and um, sort something out. And I, <laughs> I had a man come to the, uh, to the pass exchange to complain because men had had to queue for the toilet for the first time ever. He'd queue for the toilet at Cambridge Fate Festival. And he felt the need to come and tell me that that was out of order and that he felt that it, it, it was re like we were going downhill because men had had to queue for the toilet. And I was like, but how long? I was like, I was watching that the queue and I was like, you, you didn't really have to queue for that long though, did you? And he was like, no, but we had to queue. I was like right and I was like and he was like but it's all right for women because you're used to it and I was like oh yeah there we go that's telling isn't it and I was like so you're saying that it's okay for women to queue but it's not okay for men to queue I was like I don't really understand what the what like why that's a thing and he was just like, he was getting he was getting more flustered um he was also stood in front of five women while he was saying this and then suddenly realized and went oh I'm not gonna win this am I and I was like no you're not and he kind of took himself off and um, whatever. But I was just like, I've, you've had to queue for the toilet and that has upset you so much that you've had to come and tell us. 
They've got no idea, have they? No, and I, f- I feel like you're, I mean, personally, <laughs> Lucy knows this is a show, like, Pinky's going to have views, like, gender-neutral toilets with the sink inside the toilet cubicle are a win for everybody. Like, as long as the entire unit is self-contained so you can go in and do whatever you need to do, it then doesn't matter what gender you are, you have a private space. If you are a woman and you need to empty a moon cup or you've leaked into your underwear and you need to wash it in a sink or do something, you can do it without being overlooked. If you're a man who wants to go to a different type of toilet than a urinal would facilitate, you can do it without everybody knowing your business. If you are somebody who is gender non-conforming, you are not going to be stopped going into the wrong toilet because there is no wrong toilet. If they are big enough and you are a woman with young children who, you know, is trying to toilet train, you know, or needs to take a male child into a toilet, you're not having that to and fro, or a father actually, you know, dads, I think, have it even worse in terms of dads with young girls, where do you take your daughter to go to the toilet? Like, I just cannot fathom a problem with gender neutral toilets if they're fully self-contained, they're a win for everybody and they reduce queuing. Rant, soap, box, done. Let's fix the world. Like, and, I, and it reduces queuing. You know, my, I was talking about this yesterday, but my background is um, a lot of sports and cycling is very male dom- dominated. And cycling's the only time I've ever seen the men have to queue for the toilets and the women walk straight in. And you think, like, if they'd just been gender neutral, the male queue would have halved. Everybody would have queued for an equal amount of time. It, you know, you wouldn't have that man going, oh, well, I've had to queue because everyone's had to queue potentially. Whereas running is really male dominated and the women always have to queue. And then we're like literally crossing our legs desperate before the start of a race. Or in my world, I'm just going into the men's toilets because there's no queue and I need a wee. And frankly, I don't care anymore. You know, let's just get rid of all of that stuff and nonsense. My toilet in my house is gender neutral and it works really well. Yeah, I I agree completely. I mean, my background is in theatre and you see exactly the same in theatre. You get the, the interval isn't long enough to queue for the ladies toilet yes and like i've i've got two children and i've you know gone through several pregnancies and um if you need a wee when you are pregnant and there is a queue it is just the worst thing in the world and like i i get very sick when i'm pregnant hence i only have two children um because it's awful um but I always lose a lot of weight. So I don't look pregnant until I'm like seven or eight months. So if you're saying, I really need to go, I'm pregnant. And they're saying, well, you don't look pregnant. And this is other women. And I'm like, come on. And like you say, if you just had gender neutral toilets, you get rid of all those cues. And then you're pregnant ladies who are desperate for the toilet every five minutes, they can just go. Oh, but it sends it sends a message, doesn't it? It's more than just everything we've discussed and the cues. It sends a message. Women, you are welcome. Gender non-conforming people, you are welcome. We have considered your needs. And this is one of the most base human needs that needs to be addressed. Like it, it seems to me, um, you know, yes, it is a culture shift, as Fluff mentioned when raising it with her team. 
but it seems to me like you know if you can do it it's quite an easy way to let people know that you're an inclusive space like without having to shout it very loud it, it just kind of seeps into that so we know that um that we've kind of talked about three prongs here haven't we uh, you know artists behind the scenes but what we perhaps haven't addressed so much is is crowds until this this conversation um about the toilets and i was wondering about you know what you do and what you have been doing to make your space more inclusive to women and just you know inclusive to a wider more diverse spectrum of people so for us it's the the kind of like the 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 history of our audience is very much as with a lot of folk festivals it's that thing where it's like kids you know um, parents went with their kids their kids were then brought up going to the festival they've then had their own kids and they're now bringing them you know um and then we've got the other side of it which is young people who you know maybe they've come to the, the folk thing later they're a little you know the kind of they've hit the teen thing or the parents have got into the you know into folk music or into the dance side of it or whatever and they're coming through kind of in in you know from from their own side of it really um and I think the the thing that we we do and we do really well is that we're visible with the women that we have on site so in terms of the the staff and and you know you you're you're always seeing um like female faces around in you know in staff t-shirts and, and and whatever um but in terms of kind of spaces for for women on site which i think is is really important we do have uh, a kids area which has a breastfeeding um space within it which i think is something really important um somewhere that's just a little bit outside the beaten track that you can go and sit down for a little bit and you know just just rest um but i think that's something that i would want to increase is those quieter spaces those spaces that are a little bit more kind of yeah a little bit more kind of just secluded areas where you can feel a little bit more comfortable doing that um we we're you know we're quite a small site so it's difficult to fit stuff in and you know you want to keep jiggling things around to make it um yeah make it as as kind of like as as much of those spaces as possible but mostly it's taken up by a tent or something in the you know <laughs> you kind of get to it um and we we work with the white ribbon campaign i think it's called which is about kind of yeah just highlighting that if you need help or you're uncomfortable like where you can go um and like focusing on kind of identifying those spaces on site as well so you know making sure that women feel comfortable to come forward if they are concerned about anything and you know and that they know that they're going to get a sympathetic ear from whoever they approach and kind of identifying that there's like teams on site that focus on that so within you know within the the St John's ambulance we always ask that there's people who can deal with you know with that and the same with the security team and the same with the you know with the staff we have a safeguarding team on site who are not only focused on children but on vulnerable adults or you know all women or particularly you know if they're feeling you know that there's something that they're not comfortable with um and the one the other thing that I want to work on and I want to like you know kind of next steps for me is 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 
empowering people to call it out and to be more confident in doing that but like from a staff point of view as well so like if if you're if you are that person in you know in the front line and you're seeing something that you don't think is quite right then you know how do we how do we actually head like approach that head on because you know it's all very well us going we know that we've got people on site that are there if there is a problem but unless we're like vocally going you know and addressing things then people aren't gonna it's not gonna change and it's not gonna seep through as much so yeah yeah and I think there's something really I was actually thinking about Cambridge for me stands out as the first thing you see as you're walking down into the festival site is St John's Ambulance on one side and the Samaritan's tent on the other side and it's always been really striking to me that it's so close to the entrance and so visible that you can't not see it as you go in and that's crucial just to know it's there like nobody mm-hmm. in the festival and you know no one in the audience I think can't say they don't know where they where at least two good safety points are because they're so prominent and that's a really easy tweak that festivals could make right or you pop white ribbon stuff next to them so that there's also that as well like there's something about placement on site that becomes potentially crucial like lots of you know and I guess this is another kind of rehash of a previous conversation where Lucy and I have sort of gone "Mm, do festivals have breastfeeding places or not and we've assumed they haven't and lots of festivals have come back and said they do and we've gone well then they're not prominent enough because we haven't clocked them and we're women and we would clock these things so if you know it's one thing to have it and another for people to find it and then a third to call it out isn't it yeah I mean that's something that we did at Shrewsbury um kind of out of necessity because I was a breastfeeding mum um I think we had it the year I was pregnant as well um but that's that's what happens when you have women in positions of power that they go oh actually next year I'm going to need a breastfeeding area I better you know create one so that that's what we did so our breastfeeding area is in our pandemonium children's area but it is it's sort of it's not in a corner because that makes it sound awful but it's got its own little area and we have a specific under fives area. Um, so it's all, it's all stuff that's very sort of low down and we do lots of sensory kind of stuff. Um, but, and, and we have a breastfeeding policy, which is in our program right at the front. Um, and also when we do the training for the stewards on the day before the festival, it's, it's spoken about just like all the other health and safety things and the suspect packages. And, and then oh, we also, we're breastfeeding friendly, which is kind of a weird segue of conversation to have, but you know, it's there. And we also have um, more or less 50-50 on our stewards, male to female. And on the doors, it would be rare to have two men or two women. We do try and have equal representation on the doors of venues as well so I do feel that that is something that we've we've kind of got right really and in like our artists area that's also lovely and comfy and cozy and women are welcome to breastfeed in there I mean I've done it and you know everyone was lovely and actually it's a funny funny story I was doing the training the one year for our um, children's and young people stewards because we've also got a specialist safeguarding team. We also have, um, we have kind of a training kind of session for all the artists as well. So everyone gets exactly the same information for all our children's and youth 
kind of stuff. Everyone gets the same information. And my daughter was five months at the time and my husband was holding her and she just, she was really fussing, really, really fussy. And I'm sort of delivering training in front of well over a hundred people. And I'm like, she needs a feed. And my boobs started doing that tingly thing where they can hear her crying and she clearly needs feeding. So in front of a hundred people, I breastfed my baby. So I then said, and by the way, we're breastfeeding friendly. And if anyone has a problem, they can come and speak to me about it. And um, which, it, you know, it got a giggle at the time. But I sort of looking back, it was probably a really powerful thing to do. And I mean, I was always happy to feed wherever because my baby was born very small. So she needed feeding very, very often. So had I not been comfortable, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. So I got used to it very fast. But I think those kind of representation things probably have as much, if not more power than having a policy, if you know what I mean. And that representation bit is key, I guess, like thinking about the other part of this whole conversation maybe is recognising kind of the issues around intersectionality and that it's great to be talking about how do we bring more women into festivals or, you know, increase diversity in that sense. But, you know, I think it's also fair to say that there are massive issues with festivals in terms of race and disability and gender diversity more broadly. What do festivals need to be doing in that front? Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I have no way near have got the answer to that at all. But I think, I think, um, Pinky, your point about the education earlier and like the education kind of starting as young as possible, um, and us being involved in that education, and you know, something that I'm, I'm going to start working on with Cambridge, and that I want to. Um, develop over the next few years is for us to have more involvement in the in the areas of of our own city that we don't really have access to and with that is uh, you know we've got we live in the lovely you know I live in Cambridge it's beautiful and the bits that you always see on the telly are amazing but we have one of the biggest um differences between rich and poor in the country and the poor bits of Cambridge are wholly wholly um like underfunded and undersupported and you know and all the rest of it and the what you know what we can do is is bring music into the spaces that they that don't have that and we've got so much cultural diversity within in the city as well there's you know, there's areas that are really specifically kind of like, you know, um, uh, uh, Punjabi or, you know, Muslim or whatever. And just, you know, there's so many different um, uh, groups that kind of like are along in the background, but they've, they've all got a history and a validity towards music and their own traditions and stuff. And however, you know, and all those people are potentially second, third generation um living here as well so there's got to be some way that we can bring this this predominantly white you know heritage of music into a crossover between the heritages that we have here as well and that's something that there's some beautiful things that have been done you know already in folk music but it's not 
it's always done as a kind it's from my point of view this is i'm not saying that this is what it is but from my point of view it always seems to be like maybe a token thing or maybe a just like a oh we need to do something we've got a bit of money let's chuck it at that it doesn't become you know embedded it just is a, it's a one-off or a project or something and i think that I, like i say i don't know how to do it i don't have the answer but i know that that embedding of those things need would would have an impact so yeah just kind of like creating that idea of you know the crossovers between um uh our working you know our working songs and how does that fit into like you know to black working so like you know the the um slave songs and the rhythms and all that kind of stuff and then into you know the, there's so many things that feed into that the same the same route and stuff and you know the, the 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 kind of it's really uncomfortable to say oh but you know we had our own problems in england with you know what you know people working hard and stuff and not getting looked after in the slave trade i mean it physically makes me feel sick to say it but at the same time there is a there is a there is a slight level of of you know threads that run through there that are the same and it is a tiny tiny thing that we can reach out a small branch to and go how do we how do we pull this together like how do we there must be a way to make this a bit more joined up for us all but it yeah it does make i i realize that it could be taken a wholly wholly bad way by going yes but we you know us white people had it hard too do you know what i mean it's like it's about how we understand folk music right i'm nodding along to everything you say because i live in oxford and oxford has the exact <laughs> same problem as cambridge right the two places in the country with the you know just biggest disparity between rich and poor between white and people of color between educated and not educated but like for me folk music is about telling stories it's about a passing of a tradition and a heritage and a history through the vehicle of song as an easy way to remember them and we've all got that in common. It doesn't matter whether you're white or a person of color or gender non-conforming or a woman or a man, we all have a history and we all have different histories and we can all learn and share them. And maybe that's our coming together and our shared learning point, right? Of they were different for all of us. We've lived through different things, but we can share them somehow. But I think you're right. I think it is this education again, isn't it? It's, it's reaching out to young people in those areas and thinking about how are they, how do they even get introduced to folk music if it's not through family heritage? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we've done at Shrewsbury, we, we have quite a strong world music strand of the festival, which I absolutely love and we're really proud of and we're kind of building on year on year. But what I started to do a few years ago was where we get these bands, is asking them to come and do workshops for the kids and for the for the young people, um, which is refocus. That's Cat's side of the festival, and it's one she's she's another magician at the festival. She's brilliant. But asking those bands to come and just do do a forty five minute workshop and actually teach some of those songs. And then a couple of years ago, we had um, the Xmas Shanty Men did a similar thing. And I think the thing is, a lot of our kids don't 
know these songs, you know, as, as much as it is part of our heritage and part of our culture, it's not something that, unless you've been brought up in the folk scene, it's not necessarily something that you're exposed to and have any knowledge of. And I think one of the wonderful things about the whole TikTok shanty thing is actually reintroducing these songs to, to people who have no history of it. And I think that's the same with world music as well. There are so many crossovers um, with just people's individual heritage that actually if we just open our minds to it and learn a little bit, and that does start with kids, absolutely that starts with kids. But I think there's a lot to be said for adults looking at it and you know, examining their own sort of heritage and their own you know, life and whatever. And the thing about folk all being about stories, I mean, that's the thing that attracts me to, to folk music. And I was brought up on folk music. Um, but I always wonder what are the folk songs that are gonna be sung a hundred years from now? Like what are people gonna write about the pandemic and about Black Lives Matter and about women's rights? And I kind of, I always feel bad that sometimes our non-trad folk artists get labelled as being sort of political, but all folk music is political. Like all these songs about, you know, miners' strikes and going off to war, and isn't it sad that my sailor's going to leave me at home? Yeah, it's sad, but that's political. But because it's historic, we don't see it as political. And a, a lot of like I say, non-trad folk musicians kind of get labelled as being shouty or judgmental or political or whatever. But that's that's what folk music is, you know? Oh, we've wandered into a whole area here because you're literally speaking to my experience. <laughs> just, just really quickly on that, um, as part of the, the 2017 um, you know, kind of women's uh, women's day at Cambridge. We had the, you know, some of the artists that we had were Grace Petrie, uh, Ahuli and Tifo, you know, all of whom have something to say, all of whom are, have been labelled, you know, political shouty, whatever, all of whom were complained about because they were, you know, oh, I don't need to hear about, um, you know, uh, lesbian feminist you know, it, it, this is a music festival. It's not a it's not a political platform. And I was just like, do you know what folk music is? Of course, it's a political yeah. platform. It's always been political. Like you know, all of it, 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 historical and now, it's political. It always has been. Like, don't do not tell me that you think that folk music isn't isn't political because you're wrong. <laughs> like, quite. <laughs> I think there's two things that come up for me here, having had that experience myself and literally received emails from people going, I think you're very good, but I'd never bring my friends to see you because they don't need to be taught how to suck eggs. I'm like, there's one thing, one, we have to allow artists the integrity to write about what moves them. Otherwise, what is the point of being the artist at all? And some artists will be moved to write things that are reflective of the society around them. So if anybody has a problem with that, 
no problem go and listen to another artist because this person has to speak their truth else there's just no point them being like who they are <laughs> there's just no point and the second thing that comes to mind when you say this is this issue of what women are allowed to say would these audience members have had a problem if they were male artists even singing the exact same songs this impression of what women are allowed also what women you know if we just talk about our industry what a woman in folk is and should be and of course we have loads of people that don't reflect the pretty dress high pitched voice trad songs stereotype and we have people who fit into that and do it bloody brilliantly but there is just this this barrier to people feeling comfortable with women talking about politics and women talking about women's issues and feminism and it's it's really problematic and it's problematic for artists right because to go back to the idea of an offering although what you write has integrity when it comes to performing it for people you earnestly want them to enjoy the show because otherwise what is the point right so you've caught in this dynamic sometimes of how you present your truth without upsetting people which just shouldn't be there it just shouldn't be there so I can see Amy shaking her head fiercely which people can't see on the podcast get in there Amy yeah and I mean we've we've definitely had that at Shrewsbury we get feedback when and it's almost always female artists if they swear we'll get feedback we'll get we'll get emails saying oh she you know she was really good but I really wish you wouldn't swear so much. Well, I, you know, I, I can go with that. But she was put on at 10 o'clock in the evening because we knew she would swear. And if a man was put on at 10 o'clock in the evening and swore, we very, very rarely get any kind of feedback. And we've had we've had comments before about we had Kareem Polwart a few years ago and she and she spoke a little bit about Scottish independence the number of emails that it was too political and why was she talking about it because she's Scottish and it's relevant to her and you know and it's personal and she's an artist and you know all of these things it's so important and I think if you take the politics out of folk music you're kind of not left with a lot. Uh, but I think this there's so many threads to that isn't there because you know stick the young'uns on and nobody's gonna bat an eyelid everybody will happily sing along to benefit street even though it's you know one of the most political songs going because they're men but i actually think there's an intersect between being a woman and being a young woman that is really threatening to people you know and that absolute highlight of my festival career is seeing grace petrie at cambridge folk festival singing they'll never book me for cambridge folk festival (laughs) right and the absolute (laughs) irony of her and the laugh that came with her because grace knew she was not the audience's cup of the not the traditional audience's cup of tea but what all of those men miss is that women like me in their early 30s at the time feel like I don't belong at Cambridge Folk Festival and I want to go to a festival and feel like I fit in and I feel like I fit in when I see women like me representing me on stage singing about stuff that impacts my life right so talk about Scottish independence talk about Brexit talk about the pandemic etc etc like I want to hear that and I'm the next generation of you know 
the people with the money and the people coming to buy the tickets. So maybe we also have to pander a little less to an older generation. Might oh yeah, well, we, we don't give them what they want. We just book the people anyway. It's just the fact that we'll get emails, but that's fine. We can deal with emails. Well, it is there's a slight level of enjoyment of replying to them as well, though. That's the thing. And I think that's what people don't, they they, they forget that, uh, you know, the, the two things about that replying to the email thing is one, I usually get them when I'm utterly exhausted, very emotional and like, you know, still processing how I feel about the event, let alone what anybody else feels about it. And then the other thing to, you know, is that there is an enjoyment in replying to them because, uh, you know, there's a reason why we put those people on in the first place. So if you think that we're going to agree with you, then, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little confused. You know, it's absolutely entitled to your opinion, but we booked them and we put them on. So we we knew what we were getting into. We knew who we were, you know, who we were booking. And we did that because we think they've got something really important to say. And we like, you know, as as festivals, that's that's an important thing to like, you know, what we're what we're feeling is represented by our festivals as well. So I also think there's another part of that. I was just thinking back to a Cambridge I went to with my dad's best friend at one stage, and he bought the program from one of the really early Cambridge festivals, probably like second or third year. And the front bit in the flyer of like the program talks about politics like it talks about something that's going on in the world and that's the other thing it feels like audiences have like forgotten somehow is like folk music and folk festivals and the whole industry is political like there's now about it that isn't political so the person who started cambridge folk festival was a uh, was ken ken willard he was a firefighter he was a union man he started it because of socialism. He started it because he wanted there to be a platform for those, like for that movement, for those socialist singers, for that, for the, for those people to be able to sing those songs. It's that's what it started as, you know. And for to now to be at this point where it's like, oh, it's a music festival. It's not political. It's like you have absolutely not remembered the. The, the the history of where this festival started and you know there is always going to be that current for us because it's important and you know I'm not going to shy away from it I'm not I'm not going to do that it's my it's my you know it's my role to to have to, to to continue that and to give that platform to those people to be able to as Lucy said to speak their truth I mean to put down on paper your own words and your feelings and then stand on stage and sing it. I mean, like how, how, like how you, you don't have to enjoy the song, but you have to accept that that's a massive thing for somebody to do. Like it's your, it's your, it's bearing your soul, isn't it? You know, if you don't enjoy it, walk away. Yeah, just walk away. It's a really vulnerable position for artists. And I don't think, you know, artists might set out to start a conversation with a song, but they don't set out to alienate their audience completely. Um, so it's kind of up to the audience how they respond. And I just want to reflect before we kind of have some closing comments from you folks about how, you know, a lot of these conversations that we're having on the podcast, I'm very aware, particularly in my role as 
a performer and somebody that likes to provide entertainment and ease for people among conversation starting moments. I'm very aware that some of the things that we say are uncomfortable for people to hear. And, you know, and I think I just want to like throw it out to our listeners to say that, you know, if this has been uncomfortable for you, hey, that's okay. That's really fine because it's been uncomfortable for all of us um, addressing these problems during the history of our work and within the uh, industry and facing the industry. And also just the thing of that, um, you know, we've given a lot of examples which we are fully aware are about older men having opinions that aren't helpful to progression of equality. But we're also aware that, um, you know, it puts the power back to you. If you're listening to this as an older man thinking, well, that would never be me. And you're feeling frustrated about it. Flip it on its head. That would never be me. How can I be an ally to these women, to these festivals? Um, that is the way for you to take on board the conversations that you're hearing on this podcast. And we hope that you'll continue to meet us here for these hard conversations and chip in um so we're gonna close up i think ladies so if you've got any closing remarks or thoughts or things you want to signpost us to watch and follow and connect with then please let us know at this point in recording shrewsbury is still going ahead so um go for it amy yeah we are we're um we're working on a couple of different plans based on um, our best guesses of what the government will say we are and aren't allowed to do. Um, but yet yeah, we're, we're planning, we're going ahead. We're lucky we've got a very large site which we don't currently use all of the space available. Um, and we've invested in some fancy software that allows us to kind of jiggle around with um, our stages and things like that. So yeah, we're we're pretty confident, well, we're very confident that there will be a festival in August. So please do come along. One thing I would like to add actually, is if you are a young woman listening and wondering how to get into the festival industry, because it sounds like a ball, which it is, I would say number one tip is go to loads and loads of festivals. And if you're then thinking, but Amy, that sounds expensive. No, no, you can work at festivals for free, right? Because there's loads of festivals use volunteer stewards, like most festivals have volunteer stewards. Those that don't have volunteer stewards will have bars. So you can find out from previous years who runs their bars and apply. But that is the best thing you can do if you want to get into this industry, go to as many festivals as you can. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I did. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I, you know, we started going to folk festivals as kids and then we realised that if we wanted to go to other ones, we, you know, we weren't going to buy tickets. So we all worked. And then I realised that that would, that there were jobs that I could do. And that's how I got into it. And that is, for me, you know, it, it's a lot about right place, right time but it is absolutely the right way because you're, you know, lurking around somewhere. You might, you, you never know what you're going to get asked to do or what you're going to see and you do soak it all up and just being in those spaces. Yeah, totally agree with Amy. Um, yeah, and in terms of Cambridge, obviously we have now announced that we aren't going ahead this year. Um, we've got a kind of over, uh, you know, overriding factors in terms of being a, 
uh, run by a local authority. There are other focuses that they need to kind of concentrate on. It's the right decision for us at the moment. Um, we fully, fully, fully send out all our best wishes to any other festival that I like. I have everything crossed that they can go ahead because we need something like there needs to be something this summer. And I like I'm fully there for, you know, I'm coming to everybody's festival. I'll, I'll, I'll clean the toilets if I need to, but um, and I, I'm totally down with it. Um, but I think the, the thing, you know, that we want like for us focusing forward is that 2022 is going to be such a like it, there's going to be so much emotion attached to that for the staff, for the performers, for, you know, for everybody. I mean, you know, it's going to be a, a nutty year in terms of getting everything back to normal. And I think, you know, us, I, I don't know whether I can remember how to do a, a festival anymore. You know, how do you get on stage and sing your songs? Like, you know, all of that, like, right? All of those things are, like, it's going to be a big emotional year. So we all, like, mostly it's just about having each other's backs. And I think one thing that is, like, coming out of these conversations is the support between everybody is just phenomenal. So, yeah, more of that, please. Yeah, and that wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Like, we, we've never spoken before. And no. suddenly we've got all these groups of like festivals and we're talking to each other and we're cooperating. And the thing is, I think we've probably always viewed each other as competition. But in reality, we're not, we're not competition. We're at different times of the year, sort of several weeks apart. Um, we're in different areas in the country. And like, I think lots of festivals, it can be quite lonely because most of us are freelance. Most of us work from home or in very small offices. And suddenly we're, we're talking and we're having these conversations and we're supporting each other. And I, yeah, I hope that that continues for a very long time. Agreed. Down with capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real win of the pandemic though, isn't it? For all it's been awful and horrible, it's been a conversation starter, you know, and for Lucy and I, it's been a conversation starter in the form of a podcast that we hope will continue, you know, so there is, there's good stuff to come and I hope people do keep organising. I hope Shrewsbury is the best and biggest party going. Um, and I think, you know, we'll all be there to join you in 2022 at Cambridge as well, hopefully, and having a, a second party. <laughs> yeah, please come. It'll be great. Oh, take care. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you. totally awesome we can't thank amy and fluff enough for their honesty and time and i think for both me and pinky this conversation is a prime example of what we hoped and dreamed that tfff could be facilitating a conversation between two parties that may never have been able to sit down to these topics together and see sparks of connection and creativity appear that sound like they'll grow into real positive action yeah, I can't wait to see what comes off the back of this conversation. 
In the meantime, later in the week, as per usual, we'll be dropping a festival playlist on Spotify full of dream artists for the Thank Folk for Feminism Festival, which we guarantee will come to a field at some point in the next decade. Um, and we hope for sure that it won't always be a pipe dream. So make sure as ever that you are following us on our social media or sign up to our mailing list to get the heads up straight to your inbox. Just head to thankfolkforfeminism.co.uk for a link to all of the above. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time chatting to Catherine Roberts and Debs Hannah about their experiences of making music, being momsitions, and touring with their creative partners who also happen to be their husbands. Till then, take care. This podcast was a Betty Beetroot production. Ooh.